This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. It's the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast with Alma Devitt and Ken Early. How are you, Ken? Good, how are you? I'm doing all right. As we record, Rory McIlroy has just finished his opening round at the Irish Open. He's knocked in a 10-footer for a round of 89 over par. Mm. I, mean, I shouldn't laugh, it's terrible. Last place, I mean, it is It is only a game, of course, but he's last place in the tournament <laughs> as I speak, which wasn't how the week was planned out. It's a memorable uh, day of, day's golf. You got the sense he was putting a lot of pressure on himself. He hadn't... He said himself he hadn't felt comfortable in previous Irish Opens, but this was his tournament. He was attracting the big, big names over. He was sponsoring it. His foundation was going to benefit from any prize money that he won. Uh, and he was showing the face of Irish golf to the world, or at least to Europe. And it's uh, gone incredibly fast. Why, why, why did he not feel comfortable in previous Irish Opens? I don't know. I've heard, this, uh, I've heard a couple of the Irish players say this, that uh, it's a strange... I don't know if it can't be a pressure, really, can it? I mean, he's been a lot more... He's been under a lot more pressure at some of the bigger tournaments. I mean, this guy's won majors, so an Irish Open shouldn't necessarily be... Maybe it's just people you know, friends and family, a lot of people being around and that kind of thing, but there's going to be a lot more people around that he knows this week. Mm. I can't imagine Rory McIlroy would be too freaked out by some guy he used to go to school with turning up to watch him play. No, play I, I kind of always get the impression with Rory McIlroy that he quite enjoyed people watching him play golf. Yes, definitely. <laughs> so, I don't really see what... Uh, I don't know, maybe it's just... Uh, Something about the twitchy curtains and being back home, you know, just gets to you, you know. He did, yeah, he did a lot of the, uh, obviously a lot of media around this, uh, probably out of his usual routine, all those sort of things. So we'll talk to the BBC's Ian Carter from the course in a couple of minutes about that one. The topic of conversation for US Murph today is LeBron James, who's carried his team, a team of no marks, let's face it, to the NBA Finals, a 4-0 sweep over the Atlanta Hawks. So they're in there. Uh, we, if you remember our chat with Brian Murphy and Lawrence Donegan Ken at Johnny Foley's Irish house, mm-hmm. we talked about this mission of civic duty that LeBron was on. Essentially, he wanted to save Cleveland yeah. as a city, wanted to restore the jobs, restore the the good times, uh, the sense of pride in where they're all from. And he was on that theme again after this game. If you work hard for this city, they work hard for you, he said after the match. They give everything back to you. 
we're just trying to work hard for this city. Yeah, that sounds... He, he sounds, knows what, push, what, what buttons to push there in Cleveland. Well, he sounds a bit like Alan Shearer talking about Newcastle fans, I think. Uh, you know, that's all they want. They, they you know, they want you to, to see it there, giving 100%, you know. Um, well, I mean, he, LeBron is, qualifies as a kind of sporting wonder of the world, you know. Uh, he would... I mean, we were laughing at his his uh, mission of, of uh, urban regeneration. But uh, but actually, you know, he, he's bringing something to the city. I mean, the, the city of Cleveland maybe doesn't have that much to get excited about these days, but it does have the best basketball player in he'll the world. Br- yeah, it certainly brings that short-term sense of pride and joy that any sports fan gets. I don't know if that's transferable. I don't think that's transferable tra- into the wider into economy. jobs and growth and, you know... Uh, it's not bad. He's also... I, I, know, I've, I was watching a lot more of the Warriors in their series, so I didn't see a huge amount of this, but the bits I saw, the bits I read, LeBron's funny. It's, he's such a... This is a guy who commissioned his own television program, essentially, uh, with the help of the good people at ESPN, to announce his decision to leave Cleveland the last time. And as he said himself, to take his talents to South Beach isn't that it yeah. I'm going to take my talents to South Beach it's, he's a man with an ego a man with a massive ego and this is something I want to talk to US Murph about because he seems to be and he's totally in control of this team the coach is enthralled to him at this stage he's called out the coach publicly pretty much over uh, plays that were called by were essentially overruled by LeBron himself and yet the, his teammates seem to love him and he seems quite encouraging towards them I don't know if a Cristiano Ronaldo comparison is in some ways fair that you'll put up with this kind of ego if you can see that actually... No, nah, see, he's even, I think he's even more of a team man than Ronaldo. Ronaldo passes when he really it is the last resort mm. and genuinely looks annoyed when other players score important goals. Yeah. LeBron, I think, is maybe a little step above that, but there's something there that if you're at that level of professional sport and this guy's going to help you win a Champions League or win an NBA medal, which you wouldn't be within a roar of getting yeah. otherwise, you probably have to put up with whatever goes on around him. I think so. I mean, you know, he's... He's like I was looking at his his uh, numbers. I was just reading about him there, um, and they're actually freakishly similar, or you could argue better than Michael Jordan's numbers for uh, conference finals games. So I mean, uh, LeBron James has played in forty one. Uh, his average is twenty nine point five points, eight point six rebounds, six point five assists. You know, th- these are big numbers. But Michael Jordan's uh, average forty five conference final games, thirty one points, so one and a half more. But 6.3 rebounds is more than two less and 5.6 assists is, is one less per game than LeBron. I mean, that's the best player in the history of the sport and the numbers are almost identical. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of level that he's at. I don't know if he really has uh, the charisma of Michael Jordan. I don't think I don't get the sense that he's quite as big, a, you know, as a cultural icon as Michael Jordan. But as a basketball player, he appears to be every bit as uh, good. We've got extensive coverage of FIFA in our first podcast today, including menacing messages from hotel concierges to the top, to the people staying in their hotels in Switzerland, apartments rented out by a litter of cats, all sorts of stuff going on in that story, Ken. But the other football news today revolves around Rafa Benitez. Yes, uh, Benitez, who has confirmed that he's going to leave Napoli. Um, he says, uh, my contract in Napoli was a two-year deal, a contract that will end on Sunday after the game against Lazio. Uh, he says, I want to say thank you to the club, president and the fans. I want to end my cycle here with a victory and a place in the qualifying round of the Champions League. So everybody now expects um, Rafa to take over at Real Madrid. And uh, this hasn't been confirmed yet, but it seems very much to be on the cards. Uh, you know, Rafa's been... been um, working away in, in Italy, and his family have all been living in, like, the Wirral, 
Oh, really? They've ne- never moved? No, they're in England. Uh, so he's saying the first thing is the distance from my family. This is why, you know, he doesn't feel he, he, he can continue. Um, a few weeks ago, I spoke to my wife to try to convince her about a third year at Napoli. But then I told Aurelio De Laurentiis, the, the uh, Napoli president, it would not have been an easy task. He had to look ahead, and so did I. So Monse Benitez was not up for, uh, just not up for it. Um, but maybe um, the Benitez family will all be happy to move to Madrid, which is, of course, where Rafa is from. I'm not sure if it's also where his wife is from, but I guess she probably is. Um, he's from there. He, he was at the club before. He's worked for them before. Um, he's a man of the city on. And it's a while since they've had a um, coach from Madrid. Um, he's not really the kind of coach, the kind of dream weaver that Real Madrid, uh, you know, usually like to think that they have. You know, I mean, <laughs> there aren't really any coaches like that, to be honest. And it doesn't really matter in Real Madrid, the coach is a minor figure. He's almost the least important person at the club. He's just almost the guy who sits there. Uh, hopefully he does well. But even if he does well, like Ancelotti wins the Champions League, he's still going to be gone the first time he doesn't do well. So Benitez will be there for at least one year, maybe as much as two, but almost certainly not as many as three. It's a stunning vindication of his career choices. Do you remember he was in Dublin a few years ago? Did you interview him? You may have interviewed him anyway. He no. was oh, a few years ago? No, no. Interviewed no. in a few spots and he was very clear that he wasn't going back to take any old job. This is when he was out of work. He'd go back for the big jobs. He was a, he was a big team coach. He might have been talking about England at this stage, so a top four coach, big four coaches, the big four were at that stage, and he wasn't going to settle for anything less. And I kind of thought, this seems like a guy who m- mightn't get another job. Mm. Uh, he's got them. He's <laughs> he's managed in pretty big clubs since then, and now he ends up at maybe the, the biggest in the world. Well, Benitez does have a have a very good record. Oh yeah. So I mean, you know, if you're actually sitting down and going, okay, you know, who are we going to get? If you're like a big club looking for a manager, you've got a guy who's worked. Valencia, Liverpool, Inter, Chelsea, uh, Napoli. And it turns out he was right to stick with those types of clubs. Maybe if he had gone down the, even the Spurs route, mm. the image that he would have had in European football might have just been dented slightly. He might have been seen as a guy who, whereas there's almost a mystique around somebody who says, listen, I mean, even Napoli probably isn't big enough for me, but I'll take them on. Well, he's, he's won three European trophies, which is... Uh, which is as many as, you know, Jose Mourinho, more than Guardiola. Not many guys have won three European trophies. Uh, two of them have obviously been the Europa League. I mean, I'm not counting the Super Cups, but I mean, he's won something at every club he's been at. Two La Liga titles, UEFA Cup Valencia, obviously Champions League, FA Cup at Liverpool. Um, Inter, he's only there for four months, but won the World Club Cup, which Mourinho obviously says, well, that's actually my trophy. I qualified us for that. You just, you know, won. Um, Europa League again with Chelsea. And then the uh, Coppa Italia with Napoli. Now, you know, um, notable is the lack of league title success since he was at Valencia. Um, you know, that's that's a that's a problem. That's what he would be expected, I'm sure, to deliver at Real Madrid. But as a record, it stands comparison with with anybody. And uh, I, I think in England he was particularly unpopular, um, and he he obviously got on the wrong side of Alex Ferguson in a big way. You know, and he became a kind of slightly ludicrous figure with his facts thing. And then, weirdly, the Chelsea. <laughs> I mean, when he went to Chelsea. I actually think it did his reputation quite a lot of good, though, when he, his time at Chelsea, because they were uh, all against him. They were like, fat, you're fat, Rafa. You know, you're fat. You're a fat mess. Don't be here. Like, we don't want you. And uh, he just kind of took it all in good grace, just continued doing his job and uh, won the Europa League. <laughs> and, um, 
uh, you know, and then it was like, okay, well, I'm out of here now. But he he never got sort of flustered by it. He wasn't beaten down by it. He just kept doing his doing his thing. And uh, I thought he did quite well there. There was a nice story from Jamie Carragher who speaks about him in glowing terms in the most recent Graham Hunter. Do you know the story I'm, th- I'm talking about? The one about him training the Liverpool team, the obedient Liverpool team. Yeah. Really so, yeah, so Carragher says that Benitez arrives and he's telling him to do this, that and the other. And all the obedient English players are saying, sort of Premier League players anyway, are jumping, how high? Yes, boss, yes, sir. Unquestioningly. Obeying. Unquestioningly. And once they, I don't know what it was that Benitez asked them to do. Some ludicrous command anyway. Run. Like, a, t- like a, a massive amount of running. Like yeah, you, you, run upside to, down on that wall you, there. We're, we're going to need uh, 200, uh, 200 sprints, you know, and set them off on it. And Carragher and Gerard and the rest of the boys, yeah, yes, sir. And then he said, hang on a second. Do you guys question anything? Do you morons question anything? <laughs> you don't have to just unfadingly follow your manager at all times. I'd like a bit of debate about what goes on. Get a brain, morons, yeah. uh, he said. So, uh, yeah. Is a nice one. Anyway, the BBC's Ian Carter is at Royal County Down for the B- for, obviously for the BBC. Uh, thanks very much, Ian, for talking to us about Rory McElroy's terrible, terrible round. What, what's happened to him there? Well, it's just been really, really ragged. I mean, conditions are testing. Uh, it's blustery. Uh, we've had squally showers as well. But, you know, they could be an awful lot worse. But I don't think McElroy's golf could be much worse. He's been ragged off the tee. His putting, from the word go, has been uh, very, very poor. He's missed a, a, many a, a short putt that you would expect him to, to knock in. And it just feels as though all the extracurricular activities that have been going on in his role effectively as promoter of this tournament and of course a very hectic week last week which ended prematurely at Wentworth really has caught up with the world number one. I was talking to people about that ahead of the tournament and that was the fear that it's quite hard. Golfers have their routine, they have their practices, they have all these things they do and what he's been doing this week is, is completely different. I presume he's just been doing a million and one different things around the tournament trying to promote it. Well, yes, but it is very carefully organized. He's had functions in the evening. He did a, a lot of media requests this, this week, but um, nothing really that out of the ordinary. Um, I, I suspect it's more to do with the fact that this is his fifth tournament in a row. It was patently clear that he hit the buffers last week at, at Wentworth. And although he had the weekend off because he missed the cut and he said that he felt refreshed by that uh, coming into this and actually got an extra practice round here, um, he's still clearly running on empty at, at the moment. The confidence is waning. And the, the problem is that if you are slightly off, um, this golf course is going to find you out. And, and he's been well and truly found out uh, today. It is a tough test. Conditions are, are, are not easy. And any errors are being compounded by those conditions. Rory is not a guy who's usually able to hide his mood when he's playing badly. How has his demeanor been? Well, he, he's well. He looks pretty resigned, but um, you know there, there haven't been any uh, histrionics as far as I've seen. Um, he, he, I, I think he's just bitterly disappointed because he was desperately keen to put on a, a, a good show here. He said that his prize money will go to his charitable foundation as well. So um, there was plenty of personal incentive to do well this week. But as it stands at the moment, he has an awful lot to do simply to make the cut, not make it back-to-back missed cuts in his uh, tournaments over here in the UK. I take it the crowd, I'm assuming it's a bit like a balloon being burst up there? Yeah, the crowd, I was out there watching him and the the crowd are just trying to encourage him and and get him going. But uh, such is the nature of the course and the conditions. There are very few cheers to be heard, uh, if at all. Very few birdies are being had by the players. 
Uh, and as a consequence, the, the only sounds are, are really words of, of mournful encouragement for, for McElroy at the moment. And uh, it, it seems beyond him to, to respond. And um, it really is uh, a, a very, very disappointing return for someone uh, who obviously had so many expectations riding on his shoulders. Ian, if he misses the cut, the, and this might be a very optimistic way of looking at it, I guess at least the field that he's managed to put together might there's some argument that there'll at least be enough star quality there that it won't be a total washout over the weekend. There'll be enough quality golfers on display for, for this sale to be viable for people and enjoyable for people. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, people like Ricky Fowler have made good starts. Luke Donald's made a good start. Graham McDowell. Uh, we've still got Sergio Garcia to come as well. So, it, 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 you know, when you're out on the golf course, the feeling is that it's, it, it's more akin to a, an open championship. Of course, it's a Lynx golf course, so you get that feeling, but the size of the crowds as well. Um, so it, it feels a very, very substantial tournament, much greater than a run-of-the-mill European Tour event. So I think there's still going to be stacks to enjoy as the, the tournament plays out. But, you know, in, in, in the way that uh, golf always suffers in the absence of Tiger Woods, if he's not playing or misses a cut, it's a very similar scenario with Rory McIlroy at the moment because he is such a dominant figure in the game. And that, of course, is accentuated even further when you consider his role with this tournament and the fact that it's his home championship. From what Rory's been saying this week, what do you get as his motivation for what he's done for the tournament this year? Is it to do with the European Tour? Is it, very, is it more localised than that? Is it just about Irish golf and sort of hometown pride? I, I think there is an element of European Tour pride, but the overriding one is, is a hometown pride, uh, a desire to um, really raise a lot of money for his charitable foundation and the uh, cancer uh, charities that are, are linked to that. Um, and he was desperate to do well, uh, principally for them. He said, you know, I'm not really playing for myself this week. I'm, I'm playing for them. And so I think that that will compound the disappointment that he's inevitably feeling at the moment. I take your point from earlier uh, that it shouldn't be a massive pressure for him. He's doing extra press conferences, but he, he should be able to weather that. I do remember Patrick Harrington back in the Ryder Cup uh, in the K Club, seeing him at a press conference after, it could have been after the end of the tournament or maybe after the second day, and he looked absolutely shattered. He was very much the face of that. It's a, obviously a bigger tournament and more pressures involved, but it did strike me that, wow, this guy's actually exhausted from everything he's having to do around the tournament. So is it possible that that could have had more of an impact than Rory would have envisaged? Yes, I think that's a very good point. And, you know, just being such a focus and seeing the number of interviews that he had to do yesterday, um, having said that, uh, throughout those, and I spoke to him in the course of those, he was as bright, bright as a button. He was relishing it. He likes to be center of, of attention, but it, it does have a, a draining effect and it does have, um, it does take your attention away from the, the, the day job, if, if you like. So, um, it, it, you know, I, I think all of these factors have contributed to him being somewhat off his game. And as I say, this is such a tough golf course. Conditions are not easy. They are testing. And, you know, add that all together. That explains why his scoring has been so poor. Yeah, we'll let you get back to it there. Hopefully you'll see a few birdies somewhere along the way. Thanks a million. Let's hope so. Thank you. Shane Kern with the kick out. The 42-year-old goalkeeper.
coming. Leave a pretty girl sad reputation. Start a fight club, Brad reputation. I asked the question. Did anybody deserve to lose a dollar in club final? Give me a tech 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 if you know the answer. It'll be heartbreak on either side. Imagine being eight up. Imagine coming from eight down. Bitch. Shane Curran has been lifted by an umpire. The sub goalie. Two castle barmen. And a bridges miss. I can't see Curran continuing. It could be his last race out of goal. I chatted to Ian just at the tail end of McElroy's round this morning. This is one of the joys of golf, Ken. I think mm. it's it's rare a truly great footballer is brought to his knees by the game. Mm. I mean, I know I keep comparing everyone to Ronaldo today, but what's the worst that ever happens to Ronaldo? He only scores two goals instead of three. I mean, he's rarely publicly humiliated in the way that a golfer can be. No. Um, I mean, Steven Gerrard, maybe, the last few... Last few uh, Months, maybe the last year. By an individual moment, maybe by an individual moment. And I, I guess, you, no, I was about to say a, stri- a striker, like I'm thinking Fred in the World Cup uh, for Brazil. Getting, but Fre- Fred is not oh, yeah. the top was, guy. I mean, nobody ever considered him to be at the Best very in top. The world. Yeah, whereas Jared would have been. No, I, I, I really can't think of anything. Over a sustained, over four hours of playing <laughs> their sport just to be looked at going, what's must, wrong with you? It must be pretty funny, though. I mean, it must, every, I mean, Rory McElroy must see the funny side of that, I suppose. You know, the best player I in the world is don't the last. Think so. You don't think so? I really don't. You, well, all he can do. I mean, it'd probably it'd almost be worse if he was like in in the middle of the pack. It'd be like, oh, this is you know, this is just mediocre. But like to be last. Well, at least if he's in the middle of the pack, he'll be there at the weekend. And what, <laughs> he's not going to make the cut. Play? No. Well, unless he hits a monster round tomorrow, which is possible with Rory McIlroy. All right, the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast FIFA Special is out now. That's yeah. <laughs> They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six years. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shiny man? <laughs> yeah, it's all FIFA all the time, I think, on Psychiatrist Football today. Um, we saw that parade of. U.S. law enforcement, heavyweights, the Attorney General, uh, the Chief Criminal Investigator of the IRS, the Director of the FBI. <laughs> this looks like it could be quite serious. Um, all after um, FIFA. Essentially, they, they see FIFA as a like a massive organized crime syndicate, and they're in the process of rolling it up. Uh, that process started yesterday, and uh, who knows where it's going to end. So that's mainly what You're we suggesting were suggesting. There, there may be no FIFA by the end of 2015. Oh, well, I think there, there, be we could have a little bit of staff turnover. It looks as though there might be some staff turnover. Sepp Blatter was, no, or Sepp Blatter remains the president of FIFA, but it's a completely toothless organization. Yeah. Now, he, I think he'll probably still be there. Well, I don't want to predict. The, his presidential election tomorrow, we still don't know whether it's even going to go ahead. I think it probably will. Looks like it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a problem. It's a problem. Let's hit up US Murph. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. Ryan Murphy, I hope you don't miss us too much. 
Hey, I've heard that intro before. I heard it on KNBR 680, the sports leader. And I heard it when two guys, they were named Owen and Kieran, were guests on the Murph and Mac show. Mm. What a small world, boys. What a small world. Oh, my God. I can't believe you guys came, conquered, and split. That was a, uh, that was a magical week. And I'm glad that you're, you're still having me back on the show even after you've had your uh, Dorothy and Oz moment of peeking behind the curtain and seeing that the, that really the great Oz is just nothing but some schlub pulling levers. So uh, <laughs> thanks for uh, thanks for keeping the dream alive, boys, and and thanks so much for coming over. Ah, uh, no, it was, uh, it was our pleasure, more than our pleasure. It was absolutely amazing. I I should mention you were in that KMBR interview. You made a point to us that somebody had got onto you on Twitter and said that. You sound you you don't sound quite as good live that you work better over the phone so it's good to get you back on the phone line. Ah, the that was harsh. Transatlantic phone line. Oh, you know, hey, oh, as you know, in this business, we got to have thick skin. But uh, if the crackle of a transatlantic phone line brings a, a soothing sound to the Irish ears, then God bless it. Let's do it over the phone line. That said, uh, you're still welcome back here for a live interview anytime, and I would hope. The reverse is true, that I would be welcome for a live interview over there in which the non-phone line voice will have to suffice. Oh, yeah, let's make it happen. We parted company, I think it was around the top of the fifth inning at at t Park, Giants against the Dodgers. You had to go and watch Declan hit, probably hit another Grand Slam home run. I don't want to <laughs> embarrass you, but we witnessed a, a fairly historic moment. People are still talking about the game that we saw while we were there. First of all, how great is it that I, I left you guys in the top of the fifth of a Giants-Dodgers game at AT&T Park with the uh, the legendary anchor steam in your hand and, and a baseball game playing in the background? I couldn't have drawn up, you know, Francis Ford Coppola or Steven Spielberg could not have drawn up a more uh, poignant farewell than us embracing our bro hugs and our buddies for life soul shakes. Uh, right there at <laughs> AT&T Park, where I met you, too. You want to talk about full circle? I just loved that that was the case. But, yeah, circumstance dictated that I had to leave because, you know, Owen, when you coach seven-year-old baseball, you can't miss a practice. You're very serious. Coach Brian, I, I expect the hot rods to be there on time and ready to practice, and Coach Brian should give them the same courtesy. So I had to leave you guys in the middle of the game to honor my commitment to the kids, to the next generation. But, yes, it was such a great delight to have you. And, by the way, quite frankly, I'd, I'd use the word smuggled. I think I smuggled you guys into the KMBR suite, uh, and I told you guys to attack the open bar, but with some caution, some degree of reserve, like, go at it, boys, but not pedal to the metal. And then once I saw that the uh, the, the suite was not filled with clients, we were able to uh, let you guys, especially Big Ken, uh, let Big Ken, let that let that horse run, <laughs> let that stallion run and get after the, uh, the open bar. But yeah, I took you guys to a Giants-Dodgers game. It's sort of like a little bit of a, a second captain's uh, U.S. Murph dream come true to pull that off. And not only that, it so happened that the schedule worked out that the two of the most famous men in all of U.S. baseball, uh, Madison Bumgarner of the Giants and Clayton Kershaw of the Dodgers, these great young left-handed pitchers who are great friends and rivals and want to beat each other's brains in, were competing that very day. And even though it was a regular season game in May, it wasn't October or anything like that, there was the sense of um, a competition in the air and, and a bit of, uh, you know, could the Giants beat the Dodgers and sweep them? And then you guys were there for what was a bit of a, 
kind of a, a, a historic moment. Madison Bumgarner, the pitcher, who's not known for hitting. Pitchers are not known for hitting. They're known for pitching only. Hit a legendary 417-foot home run off of Clayton Kershaw. The very first home run that Clayton Kershaw has ever given up to a pitcher. So, and the fact that it came to his bitter rival, the man for, with whom he jousts for World Series crowns and, and uh, year-end accolades and, and sort of almost really Cooperstown Hall of Fame type buzz. The fact that Baumgartner hit that home run, and guys, I'll never, I, I still remember that so vividly. I was getting popcorn in that suite, that uh, laden with food and, and liquid, that suite, that Cambier suite. And, that, and so my back was actually turned when he swung, but that crack of that bat, was as loud as I've heard since Barry Bonds. That's what was so neat was that Madison Bumgarner is such a great athlete that he was able to do that as a pitcher off of Clayton Kershaw against each other in that moment of uh, of competition. And you guys were there to see it, so I kind of kind of really happy and proud that you you were all there to in the building when it happened. Even our uneducated baseball minds understood what happens when a ball goes out of the ballpark. We have, we have a vague notion that's a very good thing. Now, Brian, we got home in time for the, the... By the time we got back, Ireland had voted yes to gay marriage. It's now legal after this referendum, which I saw was front-page news on the New York Times. Did it transfer to San Francisco? Is anyone talking about it? It's unbelievable the week you guys had because you stayed here for a week. You turned the town upside down. You know, Johnny Foley's Irish house, AT&T Park, you at the Warriors game, which we need to discuss at some point, but that you guys actually like airlifted uh, wheels up out of San Francisco, wheels down into an Ireland that was historically changed. The the marriage referendum, yes, it totally resonated over here in San Francisco. It was big news. In fact, I think it was front-page news over here. And, of course, San Francisco is a city that forever has been associated with gay rights. And, and you guys, I believe, were staying right near our very historic gay neighborhood, the Castro District. Yeah. In fact, I think you guys got up in there and rolled your sleeves up and got in there. Uh, I think I think, saw so you guys tweet out a picture in front of the famous Castro Theater. We were, as indeed, a matter yeah. of fact. Yeah, where Harvey Milk gave many of his famous speeches atop a cardboard box there. If you go watch the Sean Penn movie Milk, uh, right there, right around there is where Harvey Milk kind of helped change uh, the country and, in effect, the world. I'd like to think the domino that fell in Ireland last Saturday was sort of started by the likes of a Harvey Milk in San Francisco. So I'd like to think that it was all uh, interconnected, and it's pretty cool that you guys went from one to the other, and it definitely resonated here. I was thinking, like, and I don't know, I'm I'm no Irish historian, but it seems to me like for, for about 900 years, Ireland was one thing, and it seems like in the last 20 years, it's become this whole other thing, and it's amazing and awesome to watch the the, the winds of change, as the scorpions once sang, uh, you know, or Berlin Wall falls down. Things happen. History changes, and it's so great that you guys were able to get home and celebrate it. You mentioned the Warriors game. I do want to move on and talk about LeBron, because they're the team who are into the finals now after a sweep of Atlanta and you know how we like to talk about LeBron he's one of those uh, hot, hot topics that we again we can wrap our minds around but I, yeah I did go to that Warriors game that was a decision well made Brian that was $260 plus probably some taxes there very well spent I must say another I saw another piece of history there I think that was another another game that people are still talking about well yeah I mean, and by the way you know when you spend 260 US for a game it seems crazy right but then once the money's gone if you can find a way to afford it and you know you're not going to be destitute or homeless or have no food on your table. If you have a way to do it, you you have zero regrets because you got the experience. And it's like if you kept that 260 US, great. You go out to a fancy dinner or whatever. You you know I don't know, whatever. You buy a new pair of runners or whatever. But 
the fact of the matter is you got to be in that building and experience something that you will never forget. So, oh, and I want to take my hat off to you because I should say I should want to take my scarf off to you because there you were in your uh, brother. Did you wear the giant scarf to the, the Warrior game? I wear the. Oh, I did wear the giant scarf to the Warrior game. But for people who were listening to the KMBR interview, I know Pecan, your producer, your esteemed producer, who's visited us here in Ireland, is not a big fan of the scarf indoors. So once I got in there, I took it off. I mean, people seemed everyone. Everyone's from the Bay Area. Everyone seemed happy enough with the with the forty nine or with the uh, the giant scarf. I should say. Yeah, oh yeah, you must have gotten some love for it, but uh, it was so great is that for the listeners out there who probably know by now, Owen came decked out to the Murphy Mac show in his Splash Brothers t-shirt and his uh, Warrior Giant scarf. And one more before we get into the game, as I meant to say, and I forgot to say this to you on the air like a dummy, is that it was as cool as your Splash Brothers shirt was with the medium sticker still on it. And uh, look, had that had the great sheen of having been purchased at the corner gas station just moments before <laughs> you came on the air. But I forgot to tell you, you were going to get your own shirt, because that's what the Warriors do. They put these yellow, blazing gold, strength-in-numbers Warriors t-shirts. But they're all extra large, Brian. They have to be so fair to the larger people that I'm swimming in that thing. Was it the wrong size? Oh, no, that's too bad. That's really too bad. You know, you can give it to Kieran or or Ken. They're big boys, right? (laughs) Certainly bigger. Yeah, the game itself was incredible. Barry Bonds, a guy you mentioned earlier on, was one of the celebs introduced to the crowd. Plenty of love for him. Nobody seems too worried about the uh, PEDs used over the years. They're all loving him. You witnessed it with your... uh, We've talked about this so much, whether it's Lance Armstrong or Barry Bonds or Alex Rodriguez or Roger Clemens. We've talked about these great American juicers, and you've often asked me what people think of them. And and I've tried to explain about Bonds, and you, with your very own eyes and ears, were in the building when Bonds was introduced, and you would say he got a a, a, a warm ovation, correct? Oh, more than warm. It was the, the roof nearly blew off. MC Hammer was 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 beside him, and MC Hammer got, ah, I'd say, not even as warm a, a reception. I, I asked the guy beside me. I turned to him after this. I was I was shocked into this. Uh, into talking to strangers and I said does, hang on do you guys <laughs> does everybody still love Barry Bonds here and he said oh yeah well here as in in the Bay Area not in the rest of the country yeah very fun I'm so glad you got to see that there's nothing you can't beat rolling up your sleeves and getting dirty and going out and doing the work like you did of going to see it and then you're in that building when uh, Snolly Bonds not only get your XL strength and numbers t-shirt which I hope you at least brought back to Ireland yep. But, uh, okay, good, good, good. You put it on a mannequin in the lobby or something like that. But, um, but that you got to see this very epic game in which the Houston Rockets would not go away. And even though the Warriors had them uh, well beaten a couple of times, including a 98 to 90 lead with a minute and a half to go, the Rockets kept coming and it came down to a terrifying seven seconds where James Harden got a rebound down one and came charging down the court. And we all said, Oh my God. Are you kidding me? Is this really going to happen? Because we certainly thought the Warriors were better than the Rockets and they would handle them. And then by grace of God, by both a combination of James Harden's bad decision to not take it to the basket, not pull up and shoot, and instead pass it to Dwight Howard, who was completely the wrong guy to get the ball at that time. And then by good defense from Steph Curry and Clay Thompson to close them out, they did not even get a shot off, which preserved the 99-98 win in Game 2, which, of course, as you know, even though you think you're better than the Rockets, anytime you're in a best-of-seven series, it's tough to kill off the other team. And so the Warriors, of course, needed that win. They went and rolled in Game 3 in Houston 
by 35 points. Steph scored 40 points, and we thought it was all done. And guess what? We had another. The James Harden wasn't having it. He put on a historic performance in Game 4, scored 45 points to keep the Rockets alive. But we're fairly confident we're going to get a Warriors-Cavaliers final, which means basically to the rest of the country and the basketball-loving world, it means LeBron versus Steph. Well, I'll update people on the Warriors result right after this, uh, Brian, but the Cavaliers have swept the Atlanta Hawks in the Eastern Conference Finals. What percentage of their success do you put down to LeBron James being in the team? No. I mean, I can't say 100. I mean, if I, if I could say 100, I'd say 100. I have to at least acknowledge that there's other people on the other team, but like, like sort of symbolically and metaphorically or whatever the word I'm looking for is a hundred is what I would say. Cause I mean, flat out, they would not be there without him, and with him they are. So, I mean, you could take Kyrie Irving and J.R. Smith and Iman Shumpert and all these guys they have uh, and, and say, yeah, those guys are all great, but no way. They're just not there without LeBron. That's why some people actually, during the whole MVP argument between Steph Curry and James Harden, said, well, this is all a silly argument because we all know who the most valuable player is. The most valuable player is LeBron James because wherever he goes, that team's going to go to the finals, and that, by definition, is the MVP. And in some ways, they're right. Like, you could just don't even vote. Every year that LeBron's playing, just give it to him because he really is the most valuable player in the world. And here he is again in his fifth consecutive Eastern Conference, or pardon me, NBA final you're talking about the last guy to do this as a kind of as a primary figure was Bill Russell of the Boston Celtics making 10 in a row. Larry Bird didn't make five NBA finals in a row. Michael Jordan didn't either. But then again, part of that is because he left to go play baseball and, you know, Magic Johnson didn't do it either. So you can argue, and then you can of course counter argument and say, well, it's a different generation. The, the competition isn't as good, blah, blah, blah. Bottom line is this against the competition he's playing. LeBron has taken five straight teams to the NBA finals. And that's now we're getting into some serious, you know, he's making his move on the Jordan legacy. And, you know, there will be people forever that will tell you Michael Jordan will always be the guy. And there will be even old-timers like me who say that Bird and Magic were still as, as good as Jordan. But LeBron's making his move into that Mount Rushmore. You know, if you want to do the last 40 years of, of U.S. basketball, there's only four guys. I mean, Kobe, LeBron, Magic, Bird. I mean, uh, Michael, um, that's five guys. Make your starting five in the last 40, 50 years, and then before that you'd have to go to your Bill Russells and your Wilt Chamberlains and guys like that. But, I mean, you, there are those who believe that if LeBron can bring home title number three and get Cleveland their first, you know, that, that's as many. Bird won three. LeBron's going for number three. He's really making his legacy move here, guys. And the fact that he's done it on in Cleveland, where we talked about in our live show at uh, Johnny Foley's, you know, he gave that big essay to Sports Illustrated about how he's coming back to change the culture of Cleveland, to lift up kids who need him, to basically say that he was going to revive the economy, you know, so stopping just short of running for emperor of Cleveland in northern Ohio. But guess what? He's delivered and they're going nuts and he's four wins away. I saw an interesting quote from the Cavaliers coach, David Dash something or other, whatever his name is. Uh, he said about LeBron. Yeah, David Blatt. Well, yeah, yeah, not, nobody not to be confused with Seth Blatter. That's <laughs> yeah, a different guy. That's, <laughs> a, well, that's another story that we're talking about elsewhere on the podcast <laughs> today. But LeBron James, uh, he says, leads his guys in a way that empowers them and does not belittle them in a way that lifts them, which is obviously is what he has to do. But not every great leader, not every great player, I should say, can actually lead other men, other players 
in that way. He seems to be, he, it's quite a, quite a talent to have because whatever about going over to Miami and being one of a bunch of big egos, where he is now, he's so much better than anybody else that it's quite easy to have an air of superiority, but he seems to be able to get guys to rally around him. He's so confounding because he's such a combination of a team first guy who does look out for his teammates. But there's other times he comes off as this total narcissist, you know, where he speaks, like I said, and that's, you know, I'm going to save Cleveland and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And it's kind of funny. Like, I know people like on our show, Pecan is a big LeBron hater. He he doesn't like LeBron's, um, you know, obsession with himself or that he Instagrams himself or selfies himself, this or that. But I, I counter that when I say to him, I say, yeah, but on the court, he's really the ultimate team guy. If you actually look, I think he averages almost seven assists in his career per game. And that, by definition, means that you're a team guy. You're passing the ball. You are getting other people involved. So I think what Blatt says is, of course, Blatt, that's a whole other story, is the relationship between LeBron and David Blatt, who was a well-regarded basketball mind out of Princeton who went over and made a name for himself in Israel as a coach and came back to America as this kind of heralded basketball intellect who's been sort of reduced to rubble by LeBron, who during the year, a couple of critical moments during the year, has let the media know that really it's not David Vlad who's coaching the team, it's LeBron who's coaching the team. And it's been kind of an emasculating experience for David Blatt to sort of stand by and, and have LeBron say, no, 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 this is my show. And he's done it in very sort of like passive-aggressive ways, LeBron, in that trying to make Blatt feel important but letting us know in the media at the same time that he's the guy who's calling plays. He recently, during the playoff run against the Bulls, flat out told the media that he overruled Blatt on the timeout huddle for a game-winning shot. He said, yeah, he had the play designed up for a different guy, and I said, scratch that play, I'm taking the ball. And then he made the shot to beat the Bulls, and everybody's like, wow, so much for David Blatt. You know, now so Blatt is there reduced to uh, giving these cheerleading quotes about LeBron because he's really got no choice. He just has to stand back and behold the power of LeBron. And that's therein is the essence, the power of LeBron. So, I mean, he can, he can reduce his coach to rubble and still keep his team together. He can, you know, kind of be obsessed with himself and his meaning to Cleveland and still be this phenomenal team winner. So he's a confounding guy. He's an interesting guy. And I'll tell you this, just on the court, he is a, a sight to behold. And, and the Warriors bring this great, you know, energy and coaching staff. And Steve Kerr is an amazing coach in his own right, who's won five championships. And Steph Curry, this is his time. And the Warriors are very, very deep. But LeBron may be the only hurdle they cannot clear. He's that powerful. He's got to break down at some stage, though, surely, either mentally or physically. You can't keep a, that load of a team at that high level of sport uh, day after day. I guess he has a bit of a break now because they got this job done so quickly. So maybe that'll help him. Yeah, he's got to break. You're saying that a guy who takes on this much fame and power and scrutiny has to break down, as you were just saying to your good friend Tiger Woods. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe yeah, not. Maybe not in that spectacular fashion. I just mean he might play a bad game. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. But I was just saying that it's funny. You know, he and Tiger actually share the same birthday, only nine years apart, December thirtieth. So he is thirty years old, which in you know the basketball years is not that old. But he's played what? How many years? He came into the league when he was what nineteen, something like that. So he's played twelve grueling years as a as an NBA player, taking a lot of. Uh, banging to the knee, to the ribs, to the head, to the shoulders, all that stuff. So, yeah, but he's really just, they don't make him physically like this guy. I mean, Michael Jordan was wispier than him. Uh, Larry Bird didn't have close to the body. I mean, Carl Malone's really the only guy who had a body like LeBron, but he couldn't run like LeBron. And he couldn't 
charge the lane like LeBron. Carl Malone played a long, long time. So LeBron may have the physical body to handle this stuff. You know, how long does he stay hungry? How long does he want to do it? What if the Warriors beat him in this NBA Finals and, and he still hasn't brought Cleveland that ring and he'll come back, you know, as hungry as ever? So what if he does win a ring for Cleveland but then decides, I want to win, you know, three for Cleveland? I want to win four for Cleveland? This all depends on his motivation and what he wants to do with his career and his legacy. But I wouldn't look for it anytime soon. He's 30 years old. He's, he's in his hometown trying to do something that's never been done. I heard Charles Barkley say on the TV last night, he said if he does do it, and by the way, Barkley picked him to do it because Barkley hates the Warriors, he said uh, it will be one of the greatest stories in the history of the NBA to, to you know, be home raised, hometown raised, have this uh, diaspora where he leaves, you know, is reviled, and then to come back home, be beloved, and bring them a championship. I mean, the whole other angle, and we haven't talked about it, is that Cleveland is the saddest sack of all U.S. cities. Of all sad sack U.S. sports cities, Cleveland is number one. They have not won a championship in any sport since 1964, and that's of any sport team that has all three sports, baseball, basketball, and football. I know some people will say Buffalo, but they don't have all three big sports, baseball, basketball, and football. Cleveland does, and the Indians haven't done it, and the Browns haven't done it since 1964, and the Cavaliers never have, not to mention you know, what's happened to Cleveland since then, the Rust Belt from about 1970 on with factories closing and the economy changing, unemployment, and, it's, and everybody moving west and south for their jobs. Uh, this is a guy, that's why Barkley says it be one of the great stories in the history of the NBA. You just don't find hometown kids as attached to their hometown as LeBron winning a championship for their hometown for the first time in 50-plus years. Gosh, the more I talk about it, it makes the Warriors look like kind of the villain <laughs> in all this stuff. So uh, it, it, it could be so compelling if, if they have an epic seven-game series. Brian, give our regards to all the great people at KMBR there. Thanks a million. You're an honorary San Franciscan, Owen, you and all the boys. So let's talk soon, all right? Perfect. Take care. All right, Owen. All the best. I say I'm a million percent. That is better than a hundred percent. What am I saying? Glad that Brian is so committed to his little league coaching that he can tear himself away from a Giants Dodgers game as he did. In our live chat of Foley's, it emerged that Lawrence Donegan's young fella plays in the same league as young Declan Murphy. Now, Lawrence, Ken, is the social media man for the Rangers. Mm. Brian told us about this. Yes, Lawrence, massive Celtic fan. The team his son plays for is literally called Rangers. Yeah. <laughs> it's the name of the site. Lawrence is responsible for probably the first and maybe the only minute by minute Twitter account covering a little league baseball team at Rangers 2015 MVLL, as it says itself, bringing minute by minute coverage of the 2015 Rangers in the Mill Valley Little League Miners. Witty and stylish, like our coaches, always giving you the score. Since we chatted in San Francisco, this account has gained some traction. It's now up to 184 followers. I think we should push it up to over 200 today if we can. Over 200. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, there's great stuff on their most recent game was a humdinger on Tuesday against the Astros. Right. The young Niall Donegan got the job done again, Ken, from the pitching mound oh, in the ninth inning for a thrilling 5-4 victory. So this is the kind of stuff you can read about. He's uh, the King Ranger. He really is a King Ranger. At Rangers 2015 MVLL. I'm confident that both Brian and Lawrence stay on the right side of encouraging their boys. You know, rather than being these fathers that put too much pressure on them. Yeah. I can't say the same, I'm afraid, to report, Ken. For Snoop Dogg. I know one of your all-time what? sort of pop culture heroes. What was he? Is he a pushy parent? Yeah, there's a program uh, on TV at the moment, Ken. It, it escaped my attention, criminally escaped my attention until a couple of nights ago. Mm-hmm. It's called Snoop and Son, A Dad's Dream. 
<laughs> what <laughs> age is his son? He's about 16. Uh, Cordell Broadus, big, strong guy. Yeah. He's a promising high school player. Uh, like a football player? A high school American football player. Right, yeah, okay. yeah. So <laughs> the footage is all Snoop at the ground, right? With quite a few other people because it's a college, uh, it's a high school football game mm. in the US. He just wants, as he says in one of his pieces to Cameron Ken, I just want Cordell to be able to emerge from my shadow. And it's a big shadow. So it's going to take a lot of emerging from, right? He literally, he spends the entire time abusing his own son. Yeah. Uh, both from the crowd, as in, what do you do? You know, I can't, come on, catch that ball kind of stuff. Yeah. To right to face to face, immediately after one of the games, he goes over, over to me and he says, you punked out there. You punked out. You punked out. You, you, I mean, you call that an injury? You got to toughen up, man. You're a Harry. And you Harry like, killed it there. Yeah, yeah. And then again, it, cu- it cuts the piece of camera. I got to be tough on this guy. He is a four out of five player, but he can be a five out of five player. He, he in future, he will know that I'm doing right by Cordell Brodus. Right now, Cordell looks like a kind of guy who is really his dad is getting on his nerves somewhat. I wouldn't have ever taken Snoop Dogg to be a kind of a tiger, a tiger parent. Yeah, but, uh, it seems to be. Well, look, you know, it looks as though Cordell hasn't put a foot wrong yet. Well, actually, he looked pretty bad in most of the footage bad player. He, he might be just no good he, physically he looks amazing yeah. he's tall strong looks quite fast but he seems to drop a lot of balls and I think he's a wide receiver maybe he's just not cut out for, <laughs> for American football so maybe another sport might be the way to go mm. so there you go Brian was right by the way to be confident about a Cleveland versus Warriors matchup in the NBA Finals since that chat the Warriors have taken care of the Houston Rockets in game 5 so they've won the Western Conference 4-1 the finals begin in Oakland next Thursday June uh, that's June the 4th. That's pretty much it from us. You can check out our podcast on FIFA, which is ready for you right now. Enjoy that on SoundCloud, iTunes, whatever way you're listening to this one. You can check out secondcaptains.com for any news on our shows. And in the meantime, thanks for listening. And thank you, Owen. Thank you for being thanks here. Thanks again. Thank you, too. We'll thank you. you. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.